as we go through traffic and Costco lines and deal with kids stuff and bills and much, much harder things, you know, that we see in the world today. It has not been an easy year. We remember this is not all there is. And yet, if we don't stop and spend time in contemplation, we forget that. We forget that what our eyes see outwardly is not all there is. And so, yeah, I think this is the, I hate to say it, but correct posture for walking through life in general, even outside of Advent. This is, I think, what God invites us to do as we're pilgrims on earth, because this isn't our true home. And so mindfulness, contemplation is us pausing to remember, oh yeah, this is not all there is. Welcome to Sacred Ordinary Days, a show helping you reimagine your life with Christ, one that leads you to become more wholly human, more fully faithful. I'm Jen Giles Kemper. Every episode, I'll guide us through faith-centering explorations with women and men across denomination, tradition, and background. We'll chat about it all, vocation, family life, discernment, and everything that's forming us. At the close of every episode, I'll send you off with a question to reflect on and a prayer to carry with you. In my work as a minister and spiritual director, I help others create and tend to their own spiritual practices and rhythms. And one of the most integral, and often avoided, is a rhythm of rest. It's hard for me too. So about once a month, we'll offer a short Sabbath episode with just the question and prayer. Here you are welcome. Here you belong. This is Sacred Ordinary Days. So grab your cup of tea or coffee and join me at the table. In our last episode, we talked with Scott Erickson about vulnerability in prayer, art, and parenthood. Today, we continue the Advent conversation with my friend Tish Oxenreiter. Tish is a best-selling author, an experienced podcaster, a teacher, a mother, and as you'll find in this episode, a trusted guide to many. I'm grateful to share this conversation with you today. We talk about Shadow and Light, her new Advent devotional. And we explore how she's navigated different faith traditions and forged a new path for herself, a path that, as it turns out, has been well-tread by centuries of Christians before her. When we start Advent, it's usually sudden, to be honest. None of us feel like, oh yes, I am in a quiet, introspective mood. (laughs) It's usually like, okay, let's do this thing. Let's light this candle. Let's read this thing and go. For me, that makes it almost, I don't want to say more sacred, but it reminds us of how Christ really did come into the mess of the world. And he didn't wait for everything to be all lined up with everyone waiting expectantly and in the right direction. You know, he came into our mess. He, he does come into our mess still. In addition to Tish's latest book, Shadow and Light, a guide for the Advent season using Psalms as a prayer book, Tish has written several other books, including At Home in the World, the story about her family's year traveling around the world out of backpacks. <laughs> it's a great read. She also runs a popular newsletter called Books and Crannies, leads annual bookworm pilgrimages to London, and is a podcaster at The Good List. And after writing and cultivating a community through the art of simple since 2008, her blog and website will publish the last post ever this month. 
Okay, so Tish, I know that you love taking people on trips, but of course it's not about taking people on trips. So what is it about for you? I would tell people my favorite thing about leading them on trips is having meaningful conversations in meaningful places, because there's something really special and sacred about not only having a conversation that matters, that's about something important, but having it in a very particular place. Obviously, we're not traveling much these days and Advent, while, you know, we might travel for the holidays, it's not really about the traveling of a place geographically. It's about a journey from darkness to light, metaphorically, in how we remember the past and the future while we sit in the present. You know, if we're reflecting on the birth of Christ and we're reflecting on um, the renewal of the earth, and here we are in that messy middle, we need to remember as we live through it that Every day is a gift, and every day we are walking through again and again in remembrance of our role on earth and who we are and how we're made and what we're called to. And so many of us were called to the, the like, you know, 10 square feet around us, you know, whether that's kids or whether that's studies or some kind of work or whatever it is. And so guiding people through Advent to me is the real gift of helping them remember even in the midst of maybe a dark time or just a challenging time or even just the busyness of the holidays that your place on earth matters and that that wasn't an accident and that you can walk through your life one step at a time even if the days all start feeling the same remembering that these days matter and that this is not all there is. For you, you've said that it's more about meaningful conversations and meaningful places. And I think for those of us looking to celebrate Advent, Advent is a place that we return to as part of a pilgrimage year after year. And so I'm curious what kind of journey our listeners can expect to go on if they go through Advent with you as their guide. When you walk with me, you're going to get the realness of Advent in the real world because I'm a mom with three loud kids. I have a job. I, you know, live in a fixer upper with them, you know, where everything is, is on its way to being done, but never fully done. I'm walking with you as a companion who's been there. I really like the definition of um, a good mentor being someone who's about three steps ahead of you, meaning they're not like decades ahead where they have forgotten what it's like. And yet they are just a few steps ahead to be able to point out the views and the bends in the road. Like, look at this view. Oh, watch your step right here. And that's kind of how I feel as someone into Advent. I'm not some kind of, you know, qualified, certified professional Advent knower of things. (laughs) And yet I have been figuring out what works well for our family enough to kind of whittle away what doesn't matter and keep what is truly beautiful, good and true and lean into that. And so I'm here to help you lean into that by helping you remember those things. I love that, Tish. I think you've you've said a bit about this, but I'm curious if there are gifts and graces that you most appreciate when you are looking for a guide through something new. Two things. One is that a guide 
treats me like a person with a brain. I'm primarily a writer and I'm working on fiction right now. And so in the storytelling process, my own writing coach is reminding me that a good writer treats their readers like they're smart. We don't hand them everything and we let them use their imagination where it's necessary. And we take out all the words that are there just because we want them to be there, not because they truly lead you in a story. And I think the same is true with any sort of guidance we seek out. We like the people in our lives to treat us like we're smart, that we're capable and that we can come to our own conclusions. We don't need things tied up in a pretty little bow with everything nice and neat, because that's just not how life really works. A good guide helps you lean into your own humanity. The second thing I really appreciate is someone who remembers my humanity and doesn't expect me to have my act together. To me, a good guide is the person you want to sit down with over a cup of coffee and just talk like a real person. Agreed, 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 which is why I think you are so well-suited to guide us through Advent. I'm curious, though, if there's anything different that you look for in a guide through a familiar path that perhaps you're hoping to trod with a bit of a new perspective. A lot of our faith journeys involve some form of deconstructing an idea we always thought was true and turned out to not be so black and white, and then embracing the few things that are left because they are left, you know, that's been my perspective. And with Advent being an inward spiritual journey, I find that my walk through Advent is especially meaningful for me because it's one of the few things that I know to be a source of truth that I can lean into. When everything feels uncertain, it's good to lean into what has been a bedrock for so many, you know, the communion of saints for centuries. It means guidance through a timeless historic practice yet with a new lens, because this is something that is relatively new for me in light of what my upbringing was like. And so I give that gift to people as a guide, seeing something with fresh eyes when it's centuries old. 2020 has been super weird year, understatement of the century. And certainly going to concerts and exploring art at museums isn't an option for many of us at the moment. So as, well, all of us, including you, are missing the opportunity to travel, I'm curious why you felt like it was important to include music and art in the book. If I were to ask you, what was your favorite Christmas gift from your seventh Christmas. You probably are not going to remember it specifically, but you might remember how your home smelled or how it felt or some of the traditions you enjoyed in your childhood. And, you know, I think for those of us who are parents, we tend to feel this pressure to make every moment magical. Even if we're not parents, I think we still kind of crave that deep down. And yet that's just not reality, right? To me, it's really helpful to lean into the sensory input and output we can create during the season. The smells and the sights are, are obvious, but then there's also the sounds when it comes to the music and the sights when it comes to the art. And there is no shortage of stunning, both historic and modern art related to the nativity. And I wanted to tap into that. You know, for my kids, I wanted to give them a little taste of what it meant to look at truly beautiful things. And while we can't walk through a cathedral in Italy as much as I would love that, we can look at stunning art that is in that cathedral or the art that 
is, was created out of a frustration from the disparity between the rich and the poor or something like that. We have the beauty of the internet and the technology to be able to look at these things. And so let's take advantage of that. And and the same with the music, you know, we, we can't go to a concert yet. We can bring a concert to our home as sort of the next best thing. So I created a, a playlist and a daily piece of art to accompany every single reading of shadow and light so that we could have sort of a full-on sensory experience, not to give you more to do, because if this feels overwhelming, you absolutely do not need to do anything related to the music and art, and you will still experience Advent. But for those of us who do appreciate the arts and do want more of that surrounding for our family, these are works of art and music that I've curated specifically for each day. People of all ages and all different levels of curiosity or sensitivity to nuance in art. There are going to be some people that look at these pieces of art. They're going to be all different levels enjoying this art and music together with you guiding through through the offering of your book. And I think that also brings us together. It allows me to appreciate the way that my kid sees the art. It allows me to appreciate the particular nuance of my engineer husband and what he notices about different things. Having the different pieces of music and art in the book also give us really meaningful chances to appreciate and connect with the other people that we're sharing the season with and sharing the book with. So thanks for doing that hard work. It's hard to curate that stuff. It's a lot of work. I do quite a bit of that. I've loved the way that you have approached that and you did a great job of pulling together, like you said, both classic and very modern pieces. Thank you. Thank you for that encouragement. It means a lot to me. I'm curious what you've learned from cultures outside your own that help you better understand Advent as you've been sifting out the difference between what's truly from being a follower of Christ and what's cultural. My faith shifting over the years involves our travels. My husband and I met overseas in Eastern Europe, and then we lived for a while in Turkey. And those are vastly different cultures from each other and from our home cultures of the U.S. And whenever you go through these experiences, you start learning all the the kind of barnacles attached to your ship that aren't necessarily doing untold damage, but they are just attachments. And whenever you find yourself holding on to them and they want to rip away and move on, it feels painful. That to me is a sign that like, oh, perhaps God is, is tapping me and saying this thing that you find so essential, it's not really that essential. I know I'm, I'm talking kind of vaguely and it's not on purpose. It's helpful because of course, in your little bit of vagueness, we're we're filling in the blanks with our own experiences of that. Exactly. And I think so many of us can have this experience, even if you haven't been to different cultures. But in our case, we have. And like a really good example for me is having lived in Turkey, where the majority culture is Muslim. To be a Christian means you're in the minority. I remember our first Christmas there, and I was really sad about going to the grocery store on Christmas Eve, and it just was another day for everyone else. There was no holiday music in the background. There wasn't that kind of hustle and bustle and people saying Merry Christmas and that feeling of eager anticipation, and that really made me sad, and it made me realize, wow, that is not necessary for the holidays, and yet here I am just longing for that. It's not a bad thing to long for that, and yet it's it's just extra. And so I I find that so much of my faith 
was that? Like what it means for God to embody a human body and to come down on earth. You know, if, if that's a black and white issue for me that that truly happened and it is, the implications of that though can be really cultural. Like what that meant for a poor Jewish village is so different than what it means for a middle-class white suburban woman in the U.S. in 2020. And that's not her fault at all. But there are implications that we're just not aware of until that gets stripped away. And it's helpful in Advent to, as we walk through the season, to put ourselves a little bit in that history to kind of remember what it was like to live under the thumb of the Roman Empire as a Jewish peasant when you were in literal fear of your life and most of your money had to go to pay for Herod's palaces and to wonder if God's completely forgotten the promise of a savior and to lean into that. And that feels a lot different than, you know, wishing the right Christmas carol came on at the grocery store so that your mood could be the mood you want. And I'm, I'm putting myself under the bus there. I'm not blaming anybody else. For me, it's, it, Advent is an invitation to to remember how global the church is and how God came for the whole world and not just for people like me. That's so pivotal, isn't it? If the gospel of Jesus Christ is truly good news, it has to be good news for everyone, the whole world, every generation that has been or will be. People who think like us, act like us, pray like us, vote like us, and everyone who doesn't. So when Tish painted the imagery of what the experience might be like, living under the thumb of the Roman Empire and having God break in, I found myself lost in imagination. I encourage you, wherever you are as you're joining us, to take a moment and visualize the context that God truly broke into. You can pause it. In our conversation, Tish considered what it would be like to wonder if God had completely forgotten the promise of a Savior. Have you, even in our current time and context, wondered something similar? After the break, we'll hear more from Tish Oxenreiter about beeswax candles, favorite books, and observing Advent in a year when everything feels askew already. She'll also read a special excerpt from her book, Shadow and Light. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Brooke, Jen's right-hand woman at Sacred Ordinary Days. I'm so thrilled to introduce you to a couple of my favorite things from the Sacred Ordinary Days shop. This Advent has been different than usual. I'm living in my parents' house, navigating a cross-country move. One thing keeping me grounded is a daily reading from Malcolm Geith's Waiting on the Word, which goes from Advent all the way through Christmastide to Epiphany. Apparently, I'm someone who just needs a little poetry in my life, and this collection has been such a respite for me. Once Epiphany arrives, I'll transition to Sounding the Seasons, Geith's collection of sonnets for the Christian year, to continue the sequence of poetry in my days. The other thing keeping me grounded is my Sacred Ordinary Days Planner. This is year six of using the planner for me, and each year my use of it shifts and deepens. Maybe you need a little poetry or grounding in your life too? Our shop is full of tools and resources to help you find exactly what you need for each day, week, 
and season of the year. And we're offering free shipping through the end of 2020 on everything in the shop. Plus, planners are $5 off right now. Ultimately, we believe that helping people grow in Christlikeness will build the church and in turn the kingdom. The building blocks are sacred, ordinary days. Now back to Jen. Before the break, Tish was telling us a bit about her Advent experience at a grocery store in Turkey. Her global perspective has shaped her faith tremendously. When we moved back from Turkey to the States, I felt a bit unmoored. I felt sort of like I didn't know where I belonged. I didn't know who I was in some ways. I just felt a little lost at sea. I didn't doubt my faith as a whole, but I really wrestled with what is timeless, orthodox, black and white tenets of my faith and what is just cultural. And I think as we get older, we start realizing how we have way more questions than answers. And I realized, gosh, there's something about the ancient church and its liturgical practices that feel like scaffolding. Like they feel like a way for me to build the scaffolding around so that as I erect my wall of this is the tenets of my faith and who I be- or who I am and what I believe, this holds it up a little steadier, you know. And so I started getting into the liturgical calendar. And I, I'm sure a lot of listeners on your podcast know what this is, but Advent being the start of the new year, that's kind of where I started first. And I grew up in an environment in a church that was a lovely church, but did not get into this historical church at all. I really had no concept of it. It sounded a bit like either ancient or kind of woo-woo. We just started doing this as a family, just with resources I found online and found that I really appreciated it, even if the churches we were going to didn't really have any concept of this. So we started practicing Advent at home with just a simple lighting of the candle and reading of things. Something I've heard Tish share a lot about as she reflects on her own faith journey is an appreciation for rhythms and rituals, like the ones that were offered through the liturgical year or Christian year. The liturgical calendar is a gift. It's not a burden. And so if this is a gift from God via the church, then we are invited purposely to slow down at Advent, you know, the four Sundays before Christmas, that we can pause and recognize the slow movement from darkness to light and and kind of tiptoe our way through the season by asking us to, you know, through the things we think about, listen to, look at, meditate on, to simplify, to truly ask ourselves, what does it mean that... God became man, you know, the incarnation. And so to me, there's something beautiful about being ecumenical in our approach to the liturgical calendar, because it reminds us of what all we have in common versus what all we disagree on, really. That's one of the reasons I chose the Psalms for reflecting on Advent, walking from shadow to light, because Everyone reads the Psalms and because it's a book of poetry and I think Advent should be infused with more poetry. And I even chose a particular translation that the United States Council of Catholic Bishops have agreed on is a great translation and Protestants agree with it as well. And so to me, it's just these little bitty touches that I really cared about so that this book can sit on a coffee table and no matter what it is you believe, you can open it up and say, oh, okay, 
This is about what Christmas is about. And so I love that in this model of what it means to be fully human, if you look at the, at the life of Christ as a model of, of full humanity, that we get to go into this whole season of preparation, meaning like it matters. It matters that to prepare slowly and well, and then to be fully present to Christmas as we have that invitation as well. I'd love to hear you talk more about the ways that you've named the four weeks in your book. So you've got expectation, preparation, anticipation, and gratitude. I know different traditions have different names for each week, but I think yours are beautiful. Say more. I basically thought of my mental state throughout these four weeks, but I also tied it into the historic meanings. And yeah, you're right. There are different traditions that call them different things, you know, especially the candles. We see typically in most traditions, the idea of the candles representing hope, love, joy, and peace. And so to me, expectation feels a little bit like hope. Preparation, sort of kind of feels like love and then joy feels like anticipation and gratitude feels like peace. And so it's sort of a both and situations. I see them dovetailing really well with those two ideas because I think we walk through, you know, when we start Advent, we have that, yay, the holidays, we can, we finally have permission to do the things we've been wanting to do. And then week two, we're sort of feeling that, okay, I want to do all the things, but I also want to hold back. And you start feeling that tension that those of us who want to practice Advent mindfully do where, you know, everyone around us is, is doing all the things and we want to slow down so we don't burn out. But then week three, the anticipation part, you know, it's both joy and a little bit of almost not so much panic, but that feeling you get whenever your kid who is so excited about Christmas says, guess what, mom, 12 days until Christmas. And you hear this like, oh, no, <laughs> you know, and he hears it as yay, that kind of feeling where you're just a bit like, wait, slow, slow, slow down. And then finally, by the last week, you just have gratitude where, okay, what's done is done. I do not need to create more. I can just slow down and enjoy the season. To me, it kind of feels like a natural walkthrough of what most of us feel during the season. Well, I think it's beautifully articulated. And in fact, to that point, I wonder if you could read a little section for us. We are so thrilled to carry Shadow and Light in our shop. And so I'd love to invite you to turn to page 16 if you have it and open up so much of enjoying a season and being fully present to it is about the posture that you assume mentally, emotionally, in your relationships, in your work and um, even physically. And so I wonder if you could read us about what the posture of Advent is. Remember the childlike feeling of giddy excitement about Christmas's arrival, wondering what was inside the boxes under the tree and drooling at the thought of the table spread? This is an accurate posture for Advent. We recognize Advent because our souls long for the full redemption of the world and because Advent aligns our minds with what we already anticipate, a full feasting with Christ. As a season of reflection, Advent provides the space and freedom necessary to feel and understand what it means to wait on God. Like a child who needs to eat her vegetables before she has dessert, Advent is wisely designed to help us contemplate what it means to need the presence of God before feasting on it. You know, Advent is often called the already not yet season. 
And it's this idea that we recognize Christ's coming to earth, you know, God made flesh 2000 plus years ago. And so we recognize that that has already happened, but it's a mindful exercise to remember that we are still waiting on Christ's return when all will be made new. And when all the things that we see in the world will be made whole again. As we go through traffic and Costco lines and deal with kids stuff and bills and much, much harder things, you know, that we see in the world today, it has not been an easy year. We remember this is not all there is. And yet, if we don't stop and spend time in contemplation, we forget that. We forget that what our eyes see outwardly is not all there is. And so, yeah, I think this is the, I hate to say it, but correct posture for walking through life in general, even outside of Advent. This is, I think, what God invites us to do as we're pilgrims on earth, because this isn't our true home. And so mindfulness, contemplation is us pausing to remember, oh, yeah, this is not all there is. My primary allegiance and my primary citizenship is not here. It's elsewhere. That's why things feel a little janky and askew and not quite right. Now, lest you feel you've missed the boat and you're left just making notes about things you'd like to do in the future, here's a word from Tish on a different way to see the season than something already almost gone with no lingering invitation for you today. When we think about Advent being a distinctive holiday from Christmas, that it's sort of the on-ramp to Christmas, and when we lean into the liturgical calendar and Advent being the start of a new year, and that Christmas tide follows, you know, like we've said before, Advent is a gift and not a burden, and it's a scaffolding for us to structure our time. And one of the gifts it gives us is the opportunity to slow down when we walk slowly through the season. And so we don't need to feel as rushed about, you know, getting the tree up by a certain day or having all our ducks in a row or having accomplished all those Christmassy things before Christmas, because technically Christmas tide is 12 full days. It starts on December 25th and it ends on January 5th. There's something really sweet about sort of holding back on some of those things you love about Christmas, whether that's like baking cookies or watching a certain movie and waiting until those 12 days to truly enjoy them. It actually means for me, I get to enjoy Christmas more because I'm not sick of it yet. You know, we've all had that experience of like by December 27th, 28th, we're like, all right, I'm ready for the tree to be gone. I want my house to be decluttered. I'm ready for a clean slate. And so leaning into Advent allows us to lean into Christmas tide more fully and really enjoy it. So we do a lot of those traditional things just a little bit later, you know, and we can enjoy the drawn out season even more. Popular culture would have us believe that the 12 days of Christmas are simply a countdown calendar to December 25th. But as Tish pointed out, that's not how the Christian calendar works. We celebrate a whole season of Advent and then a whole season of Christmas tide with its 12 full days of celebration stretching all the way to January 5th. Now, depending on your tradition or denomination, you may be wondering if I'm holding back on Christmas traditions beforehand, what does it even leave us with for, well, for the rest? So I asked Tish about one of her favorite Advent traditions. 
Well, I know that you have um, a particular love for making your own Advent candles. I'd love to know what you've loved about that. The beeswax candles, I mean, they're basically my favorite craft because they take maybe two minutes. You literally roll them and you're done. I've got three kids and it works out well that there's five candles in an Advent wreath because there's five of us. You just roll this sheet of beeswax with the wick in and you stick it in the wreath. And our wreath is a log that's come from our backyard. So it's very natural and it's very local. Something about beeswax keeps everything as natural as possible and keeps it as sort of in tandem with the seasons as possible, meaning like like nature is longing to celebrate Advent as well. And beeswax candles melt quickly. These aren't things that will last for years and years. And I actually really like that. So it reminds us also of the hearkening season is coming, you know, coming soon. There's just something I really, I like about it. And plus it gives off just this faint, faint scent of honey a little bit. And I love that. So anyway, I, yeah, I'm a big fan. The embodied practice and ritual of lighting candles and gathering around them, huddled in darkness, making a small light as we contemplate Christ's arrival into our world is a powerful one. And it's a powerful one, in fact, to continue year after year at church with our housemates or families and for ourselves. We begin to see that light does indeed come in the darkness. We anticipate what's to come and wonder, what do we miss out on? when we don't embrace the complexities of this season. So I asked Tish what she thinks. We miss out on that invitation to slow down and we miss out on communion with the saints. There have been saints for centuries who have recognized Advent. And while God isn't up there with a tally board saying, are you going to practice Advent today? You know, it's not something that we're trying to keep records of, but This is the way the church, the historic church, has seen these festivals and these feast days and these celebrations and these seasons for hundreds of years. And so we miss out on kind of the fullness of the faith in that way. The fullness of faith. Does that resonate with you? Have there been seasons where your faith has felt fuller, fatter, richer, Or seasons it's felt thinner, flimsier, slimmer. Books have been a big part of my faith, fattening up, as you will, getting deeper, richer, more beautiful. And that's something that Tish and I share in common. Books are such a huge part of your own life and just a personal love for you. It's why you've written three books. It's why you have a newsletter called Books and Crannies. I have so loved your book recommendations over the years and your podcasts and and your writing, certainly. But I'm curious if there are any books that have really informed your understanding of Advent or Christmas. Yeah, there's a few that come to mind. The first one is really, I hate saying it because it's almost cliche, but it's really true. And it's A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. I, you know, took up a a side gig as a high school English teacher. (laughs) I have really grown to love the classics again. And A Christmas Carol is so accessible because it's short 
and it's there it's witty it's funny it's engaging we already know the plot most of us thanks to all the movies and so it's not confusing really even though it's a victorian novel and it's just got a really great backstory of how dickens wrote it and what it did to the christmas season how it kind of revitalized our cultural interest in christmas in a time that it was kind of waning really in the mid 1800s in england i try to reread at least part of it every year it's such a good reminder for those of us who have Scrooge-like tendencies about the holidays. <laughs> you just remember the sweetness of it, the goodness of it, and also how some things don't change in a way. It's sacrificial giving and and kind of leaning into that childlike spirit of loving the holidays is good for all of us, whether we're, you know, a rich old man in 19th century Victorian England or whether it's just us fighting traffic or dealing with long lines at carpool. And, and so to me, A Christmas Carol is a great one for all of us. Another book I like is actually, I don't know if it's a children's book, but we read it as a family and we have for quite a while and it's called All Creation Waits by Gail Boss. And I love it because the illustrations are beautiful. I mean, it is an Advent book, so I we, we pair it many times along with Shadow and Light. And it's a book that just features a different woodland creature or wild creature every day. And it just tells their story of going in, like what they are doing in this particular season. Like if they're burrowing down for hibernation or if they're gathering food for their family, but it's told in beautiful, poetic language, rich with imagery. And then it's just got gorgeous, simple black and white sketches that accompany it, the different animals. Usually it's the kids that read aloud now, my family. And so they all take turns reading one of these stories a day. And he gets into the science of the animals and our kids like that as well. So it's a great book. The third one is actually not holiday specific or Advent specific, but it's a year round book I read called A Nature Poem for Every Day of the Year. And it's compiled by Jane McMorland Hunter. And one of the reasons I love it is that it's beautiful. Like it literally looks good sitting on the shelf, you know, or on the coffee table next to Shadow and Light. But it's a poem you can read every single day. And she's arranged them. It's just classic poetry. She's arranged them according to the seasons. And so when you start reading during Advent, they tend to be related to winter. And I just love poetry in general, you know, like I've talked about with the Psalms, but poetry is an invitation to start your day off slowly and reflectively. And so I read one poem a day from this book year round. So as Tish talks about poetry, I immediately think of music, which is where I first fell in love with poetic writing. Many of you connected with our playlists. We have one for each liturgical season and quite a few for some harder to name seasons. And Tish has a phenomenal one as well called Shadow and Light that pairs with her book, but is great on its own. Here's a few songs that she loves from it. There's one called All Things New by Andrew Peterson. Andrew Peterson shows up a number of times in this playlist. I love Mother of God from The Brilliance. That's beautiful. And just a, a recognition of Mary is my new favorite thing about Advent. There's another song called Wonder from Mary and Grace. And then I don't know if you are a fan of Hamilton, but Leslie Odom Jr.'s Christmas album is fantastic. And he has a beautiful Ave Maria. Phenomenal. Well, Tish, thank you so much for having a great conversation with me. I'm thrilled for your book. It is one of the most visually stunning covers I have ever seen. It feels so fresh and yet is such a great nod to this 
beautiful, long tradition of celebrating the season of Advent. So I'm thrilled for your book. I'm grateful to be able to carry it in our shop and loved having a conversation with you. I'm grateful for you and I love everything it is you do. So I'm I'm delighted to be here with you. So have you paused long enough to make yourself a cup of tea and light a candle, (laughs) pick out a song, pull your Bible out and read a psalm? If not, I hope you will in these last few days before Christmas. While Tish's book is currently sold out everywhere, how cool is that? As soon as it's available again, it'll be in our shop. And the last stack was signed and delivered by Tish herself. So I'm hoping to get her to sign the next stack as well. But if you're new to Advent or the liturgical year, maybe you've even been traveling with Tish's book throughout this season. I think you'll really love the tool that our planner is, which helps you craft your own rhythms, practices, and postures, ones that fit the season of life that you're in right now, and to do that in ways that connect with the liturgical year. We ship really quickly, and as mentioned earlier in the show, you can get yours for $5 off and free shipping through the end of December, or until they run out, which they're pretty close to doing. Just head to sacredordinarydays.com advent and find all of our Advent resources, including the planner at the top. But before we go, a question. I asked Tish this, and now I'm asking you. How might more fully engaging in Advent as a season of preparation for Christmas allow us to lengthen our celebration of Christmas itself, and not just be desperate to take the tree down and put it all away by December 27th? And perhaps in your answer, there's a clue as to something that you might do right now to go a bit deeper next Advent, too. God, as we enter into the season of Christmas, as we celebrate the gift of Jesus, let us not forget the many times and places that we still need Christ to come, that we still continue to wait and pass over them in ourselves, in our own hearts, or in the hearts of the people around us. Help us be attentive, pay good attention, and be patient. Give us rest for our weary souls at the end of one of the harder years at least some of us have experienced. Help us be patient with the others we love and who are in our care and keeping. We're Sacred Ordinary Days on Instagram and Facebook, and you can find links from this episode, including Tish's books, our Advent Spotify playlist, some clean and bright burning candles, and more at sacredordinarydays.com slash podcast. Sacred Ordinary Days is hosted by Jen Giles Kemper and produced by Kayla Craig. Audio editing is by Sean Gabrielson. Sacred Ordinary Days is a show helping you reimagine your life with Christ, one that leads you to become more wholly human, more fully faithful. Support these conversations by subscribing and leave a rating and review at Apple Podcasts. To learn more, visit sacredordinarydays.com. Thanks for listening.